You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. The countdown has begun, ladies and gentlemen, until my rut vacation starts, right? Wednesday night, uh, which is tonight. It's Halloween. I'll be spending time with the kids doing the trick-or-treat thing. It's pretty cool. In my neighborhood, some of the houses hand out beer to the parents. So uh, it's like trick-or-treating for adults, too. And I don't even really have to wear a costume. Uh, I always do something dumb, but uh, it's for the kids. And it's important that I am there for the kids. And I'm always going to say that with an asterisk because for the last, like, five years... One of my hit list bucks has always showed up on Halloween in daylight in front of a stand. And as much as I want to go out there um, and, and be hunting, it's very important for my kids that I'm there because they are so excited. My, my daughter is a vampire this year. She's really scary. My youngest son is Spider-Man and he's just adorable and then my uh, middle son my oldest son Mac he's one of the Incredibles the real fast kid that's what he's been talking about for months and uh, so we got him the outfit and these kids are ready to go there is uh, it depends on how you look at it there's a downfall slash positives to Halloween and for me it is the candy I have a sweet tooth it's well known and I destroy. It's almost like I sit there and I eat one after another, after another, and after another until I get a stomach ache. And then I complain to my wife why she didn't hide them uh, from me. And then she just tells me to shut up. So, <laughs> so Halloween, right? Now, Halloween also marks a big turning point, too. I call, I call it like daddy shut off or husband shut off it's it's the season of the fall widow because as much as i try as much as i try my mind shifts to the woods and it's already there right now but it shifts 
big time into the woods and i am excited although my trail cameras haven't told me much so far this year i am excited to get out there start the process check the trail cameras go hunt some observation stands hopefully see something move in for the kill repeat that cycle until i connect or i don't connect and either way this is the time of year that i i live for whether it's a successful season and you get a harvest or it's a quote unquote unsuccessful which is still a successful season because i'm not in my damn cubicle at work right that's a win that's a win and you get to be out in mother nature and watch the whitetail rut kind of unfold um i don't know i just am blessed to hunt where i hunt and to see what i see and to have this passion and I wrote something down on Facebook today, and I wanted to read it to you. I was going to try to like recap it, but I'll just read it word for word. As the hunting season shifts into high gear, let's all focus on one thing. That is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you shoot or how you shoot it. It doesn't matter what others shoot or how they shoot it. It doesn't matter that you're a meat hunter or you're focused strictly on inches. It doesn't matter if you use a gun or a bow, or a crossbow. It doesn't matter if you hunt public or private land. It doesn't matter what brand you wear on your hat. What matters is the animal. It always has been, and it always will be the top priority. Without them, we, they, us, don't exist. And I mean that from, from, you know, we as hunters don't exist if we can't go hunt. What matters is that no matter how stressful your life is at that moment, Just know that all you have to do is sit in a tree stand or a ground blind, take a deep breath, and enjoy yourself. This season, let's not lose sight of what is truly important, and let's honor the beast. And I can't take credit for honor the beast. My uh, buddy uh, Ben Harshine schooled me to that phrase, and uh, so I'll give him credit. But let's just do that. This While we're all taking advantage, taking our time off, you know, bow hunting is kind of a selfish sport unless you do share it with your family for me my kids are too young my wife doesn't share the same passion as i do when it comes to uh, bow hunting i take it very seriously and i kind of put my family to the side so it's it's important for me to then shift my attention to the animal and focus on what's important and that is enjoying the hunt enjoying the adventure enjoying the process and the experience and not just the you know the end result which is a kill and then yeah let's say you're the kind of guy who's out for inches only right and if you want just giant deer on your head or on your uh, giant deer on your wall why don't you just go hunt high fence i mean but at the same time i'm a hypocrite for saying that because i'm focused on those sorts of things too but we, we all go back to what I just said and that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you shoot. It doesn't matter what I shoot. It's that we all enjoy this moment th- to the best of our ability and focus on the animal and focus on honoring the beast. So I'm on my show. I'm, I'm on my soapbox. I'm going to step off of it now. Hopefully you guys could take away uh something from that and just go out and enjoy yourself man that is really what it's all about um today's podcast we're going to be talking with a returning guest his name is byron horton and byron man he had one hell of a hunt uh was it last week i think he uh, was able to walk in 
to a piece of public on a run and gun set set up over sign over what he scouted during the summer and spring. So he located a piece of property. He found the terrain and sign that were good for holding deer. He walked in. He used his mind basically to observe the sign and terrain set up in a tree and what do you know one of the biggest bucks he's ever shot steps out on and he gets it done running gun style on public ground and these are the stories that i love to hear right the guys who are aggressive but cautious at the same time right and you're going to hear the story about what i'm talking about there Uh, in this story you'll hear it before we get into today's podcast man we got to uh thank a sponsor real quick and that's wasp uh truly appreciate what you guys do for me um awesome american-made broadhead and i tell you what (laughs) when you're sighting in your bow every year i have a couple that get away from me especially when i'm tuning from and this this sounds horrible but when you're tuning from a my field points to my fixed blade broadheads there's always some adjustments that need to be made and whether i'm to blame or the the broad like just the setup needs some adjustment i put a i put a hole through my swing set and i'm talking about the big pieces of wood and the plastic and i pulled it out i was able to extract it and the wasp broadhead was still in perfect shape it is a kick-ass durable broadhead that is going to destroy whatever it hits so take that into consideration um, if you're still looking for broadheads this late in the game guys huge shout out to that company Um, and if you do decide to go to wasparchery.com and purchase some of their broadheads they have fixed blades and mechanicals enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive 20 percent off your broadhead purchase so take advantage of that now i've covered it all right i've talked way too long i've covered it all guys let's get into today's run and gun public land success bs session hunter profile podcast with my man byron horton all right on the podcast with me today right now returning guest mr byron horton what's up man Oh, not not bad for a Monday, Dan. Not bad for a Monday. Yeah, hell yeah, not bad for a Monday, man. It sounds like you had a pretty good weekend. Yeah, yeah, uh, had a great uh, great st- uh, start to my weekend last Thursday evening. Oh, that's right. It was on Thursday night. Yeah, that's right. And that's why you're on the podcast today is uh, because you harvested a beautiful Ohio public land buck, and uh, we're going to break down the strategy that was involved into getting that uh, that deer on today's podcast. But for just as a reminder to everybody out there, why don't you tell everybody where you're from, what do you do for a living, and even mention the whitetail experience? Oh, okay. So the nine to five is I'm an accountant here out of Columbus, Ohio. Um, do oh ninety percent of my hunting on public land, and I uh, kind of have a little small production thing I do for uh, the whitetail experience. Um, just some some public land generated content uh, focused on some films and a little bit of oh gear and and, and tip strategy stuff. So. That, that, that's kind of what I do. So, what do you like more, doing the whitetail experience stuff or doing the accountant stuff? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what if I told you the hours spent on both are about the same? Yeah, I believe it. I know from experience because I know that the, the uh, hours that I put into this 
probably equal the hours that I put into my, uh, my full-time job as well. So, um, is I always have this question for accountants or someone that works with numbers all day. I, I myself work with spreadsheets a lot and I don't like them. What, what is like the daily routine for an accountant? Oh gosh. Um, very heavy centered around the first uh, five business days as far as like kind of calculating how the, the my section of the business did the, the prior month. And then it's a couple monthly, quarterly reports, it's purchase obligations. I'm heavy into the inventory side of things. So, so gotcha. a lot of purchasing and, and tracking of inventory, dude. It's, that's by spreadsheets. Sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this buck, right, that you just recently shot, mm-hmm. I, want, I want everybody to know, like, I want you to describe this buck, because I want everybody to be thinking about this buck as you tell the story and share the strategy of how you harvested him. So describe his age, describe, uh, you know, what he's got on top of his head and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So I would guess three and a half to four and a half years old. Um, he's a, a wider framed buck, carries decent mass all the way out. He's about uh, 20 inches and in change wide. Um Decent uh, browse twos and threes, um, kind of around that seven, eight inch mark. Um, but a very white racked individual too. It was uh, it was pretty cool. He had a decent amount of rubs in his in his bases, and that'll play into the story here in a minute. So awesome. Um, Ten point. Um, not much for fours, but dude, a, he he's a beautiful deer in my eyes. I kind of like the wider racked deer myself. Oh yeah, it's cool, especially when they come like a wide deer, that'll catch you off guard, especially if they're walking right towards you. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Now, so this particular buck, just so everybody knows, did you happen to put tape to him yet? Yeah, yeah, I did put tape to him. And? Um, without being a professional measurer, I got him kind of around that 138 mark. Okay, cool. Right. Um, so, yeah, just the, the, not having the fours, I think, kind of, put him out of the, the mid 140s club hey that's all right man he's like i said it's an absolutely gorgeous deer and um he's got pictures on the whitetail experience uh facebook page so uh go check that out but you know that's the cherry on top is the harvest right now the chess yeah. the chess match is what i think we all love and that's what i want to ask you questions about uh today is that chess match how the strategy played out and all that stuff so where you ended up killing this deer, I want you to tell everybody, you know, it was on public land. So I want you to tell, mm-hmm. kind of share the story of how you found this location, how you got the access to this spot. Talk about the, you know, this particular property first. Yeah. So the story to finding this particular piece actually came, starts like last year in December. Um, I had a friend hunt this particular piece of public like two or three times. And he just noted that he didn't feel it had a, a lot of hunting pressure or a lot of good hunting pressure as far as caliber of hunters in there kind of thing. But he mentioned it to me and, and, and he said, dude, you might want to spend some boots on the ground there this winter. Um, so late December, I went down there and the, the season was actually still in. Um, but I had already filled my buck tag and, 
I, uh, I hung a trail camera and I spent some time poking around into three areas and, and one area in particular, I felt like there was more buck sign and, um, I felt like it was just the better of the three, three areas that I checked out on this public piece. Um, hung that camera, came back roughly a month to two months later and, uh, scouted obviously a little more kind of mapped out some locations and, and access route access routes into this particular, uh, area. And one thing like I would note is when I pulled that trail camera, one, I had those feeding into this, this, this field in daylight on public land, which was, was kind of, uh, an astonishing thing. Cause I was like, man, I could almost hunt this like backfield edge, like, like a private farm, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did gather a, a, a decent amount of two and a half year olds and one super stud of a buck. Um, gotcha. so, so to me, I've got a caliber of deer. I like to chase, you know, with that super stud, but then I like also at two and a half year olds, if, if they've survived gun, both gun seasons at this point, like that, those are deer that, that can become shooters, um, for me, at least that, that following year. Cause I'm, I'm kind of chasing, you know, that three and a half year old, um, 125 and up kind of classes is, is what I'm after on public land here in Ohio. Yep. The reason I like that answer is because you set realistic goals for yourself right a lot of guys would say mm-hmm. hey man i'm looking for a four-year-old or older and he's got to be 140 150 you know or bigger which even in a good buck state like ohio is still somewhat hard to find yeah yeah i would yeah i would agree there's there's big bucks in ohio but the public land if you look at ohio it's the first big buck state to the east uh, we get a decent amount of out of staters cause, cause anybody coming from the East coast and the PA West Virginia boys, I mean, that's who I compete with actually a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, are those guys cause they're a little bit more committed hunters than, than just kind of the Dickie Moses, what we like to call them, the guys with ladder stands already set in the public, but yeah. Um, so describe yeah. this, describe this, um, you mentioned about this particular piece. You had it broke down to three different pieces uh, that you wanted, mm-hmm. wanted to focus on. What was the like the larger area of public land? How many acres were you working with? Um, this this section is probably three to four hundred. Okay. Um, that that I felt like was quality. Um, okay. It had it had some, some ag fields on it and ag fields surrounding it, which which is also key. Like I love to look at, uh, what I'll call like private land food and public land bedding setups. Right. Um, and then do the, the hammer part of this or like the kind of the golden ticket is this particular section had a lot of cover and it had a lot of stuff that you, you can't hunt in. And the particular area that I went in for this hunt, it has trees, literally the, the size of a softball bat to a basketball. Like you're not getting, 20 foot up and definitely not using a climber like thick nasty stuff um kind of like the, the like the buck nest you know those hunting public guys have referred to right so just some nasty stuff where um you basically have to you you have to have a hang on to hunt it right mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. mobile the, and- the mobile guy's going to do much better Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like either on the ground or like one and two stick high type habitat, a lot of warm season grasses in there and like some shrubbery brush and stuff. Just, um, 
not not hunter friendly you do a lot of people will probably look at this like section and be like dude like i would not want to hunt this or i wouldn't hunt this right and i'm just envisioning in my mind what you've described so far and the first thing that i think of is dude that has got to be some like some big buck habitat yeah yeah and um when i was scouting it um last january like the the amount of rubs and the amount of rub like per 20 30 yards was just like dude there are there are probably multiple bucks competing for this certain this certain area and let alone it, it's got to hold does man i just you know it, it's it's an area that holds deers and keep keeps hunters out yeah all right so and then you broke it down into three individual areas how big were those on average were those three individual areas that you you went from this giant uh macro level you broke it down to three micro level uh, areas what was the acreage on that roughly um so the different points that would where I would mark like two or three stand sites in uh, and five acres where like oh if it's a northwest wind I may want to shift over to this this tree fifty yards or if it's uh, more northerly I may shift over you know so I would I would say yeah about ten I keyed in on like uh, three like ten ten to fifteen ish acre sections that I felt like were good. Okay. All right. And that was the, the thick, nasty stuff that you described, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, most of, yeah. Most of what I was finding was, was thick, nasty. This particular section was, was definitely like an old field that they just let grow up. Okay. Um, and, and that's where I was kind of at least going to start when I was going to start hunting this piece. Right. All right. So with that said, then, you know, once you got boots on the ground and you went to start scouting these things, these these three different areas, what did you find specifically? You know, you mentioned that, you know, it was kind of on a corner and you could hunt it like private. But what was it specifically about the either the vegetation or the terrain that made you say, this is the one of those three that I really want to focus on? Yeah, I, I, I'll go back to the habitat. The the warm season grasses in there. The there is like a oh kind of a, a timber edge that that dumps into this creek bottom that that borders this kind of what I'll call this buck nest area is what I've kind of coined it basically. And a lot of small saplings. Like people that look at it would would think more like rabbit rabbit type habitat. Right. Um, it's just not not friendly to walk and maneuver through. It's not friendly. I definitely wouldn't go in there scouting in the summer because you would just get ticks and 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 all sorts of like yeah you just get covered in ticks, poison ivy, the whole nine. Um, so that's kind of what what drew me in. And I, and when I was scouting, it did the number of rubs and uh, we looked for 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 tracks and would see good tracks as well. I'm not necessarily like an expert like um joe and 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 dan those guys that, that really look at tracks but i'm trying to add that to the arsenal for sure but yeah there was definitely some good tracks in there and and rubs like you know the size of your thigh and 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 ones that came up to mid belly button i'm like dude there's this is this is definitely an area to key in on right okay so once you got in there and you started finding those things um did you notice any beds like some old beds because was there snow on the ground when you went in scouting 
so when um, I went the first time to hang my hang the camera and like the initial scout, there was snow on the ground. And yes, there there are multiple beds. Um, and even dragging that deer out, Dan, we were finding beds on beds, you know, in, in multiple locations. And some of which I, I, I remember scouting and thinking it was does because, you know, you a couple different piles, um, you know, closer together. Um, I could see maybe a few potential buck beds. And like I said, I say potential buck beds. Um, I feel like that term gets a little overused by guys that don't have, I don't have 10 years experience hunting buck beds. I got about four. So I always like to say potential buck beds because I'm not an expert. Absolutely. Um, but you know, hammered rub, like a, a, a good size rub, a visual advantage looking into where he could see danger approaching and, and, and a single bed. Like I, I, I label those on my phone as potential buck beds. You know, I don't, I, unless I, it's a 10 out of 10, I'm like, yep, bucks betting here, hundred percent sheds in it. Or I'm, I walk away from it saying that I like to use the term potential buck bed. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even for someone who's seasoned, that's still somewhat hard to find. Like I, I am by no means a buck bed hunter. I'm a, I would say I'm a bedding area hunter but not specific buck beds because as i've said before in some of the uh podcasts that like i feel that deer on the farms that i hunt bed in different places so often that like hunting you know having a buck have one specific bed is unrealistic yeah 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 i i agree keep it situationally for yeah, sure absolutely all right so so then you did your scouting. You realized, hey man, this is the this is a good spot. Now comes access, right? You got to figure out how mm -hmm. you're going to get in there with different winds and whatnot. So talk, break that down for us. Yeah, so I think that's the key to like uh, like when I scout a piece. A lot of times I just walk and walk and walk and find like what I call hot areas where where I feel like I need to be hunting. But then I like to return or maybe figure out in the summer the best access routes. Now into this particular piece, there is what I call like a four wheel path or like a main hunter access that the, the division probably uses to like plant the fields and, and kind of keeps mode. And obviously like, that's like a key point um, right. of access. But I, 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 um, I think what, what I played out in my mind was, um, these deer were bedding in this certain location and if if the wind was out a certain maybe a north or a east or a west i could attack this particular bedding area in in by staying on that main access route and either button hooking in or, or curling around or uh there is a creek system that that runs on the other side and if i would have had some sort of southerly wind that's probably the route i would take in there um i mapped out two forms of access um into this particular section and one of which kind of allowed me to almost hunt my way in and that was that was the route i ended up taking just due to the we kind of had an east wind which was odd but uh it allowed me to kind of hunt my way in uh when i actually went in there for the hunt so you, you were kind of doing a take it slow take it easy spot and stock type hunt until you got to your stand location and then set up once you got there yeah so and and that's kind of a story in itself. Like I came in what I call the main easement and a lot of public pieces, they have, you know, that main uh, travel route, four wheeler type path. Yep. And uh, as a crow flies, my, my, my stand 
pin marker that I had on my map system was uh, about 600 yards, almost straight shot. But uh, I ended up walking closer to like 850, 900 yards because I pulled like a, almost like a, you know, I curled back in there right. um, due to the east wind. And obviously there's a little hard to explain on the podcast, but long story short, I walked further because I felt that was the route to go to A, allow me wind in my face, B, allow me to maybe assess as I was walking in. So I walked very fast that first 500 yards, you know, on this easement. But once I kind of hit what I call this grassy rabbit field or old brushy field stuff, then I really started taking my time. And it, it was a still hunt. It was two steps, three steps, walk, glass, look around, assessing sign. Um, I did jump one deer, dude, right off the start. And that was a little bit depressing, you know, a little bit of a morale killer. Right. Um, but you had your access routes kind of, you know, before you even went into this hunt, you had, you looked at maps and through your scouting, did you break it down on individual winds? So, um, on the North wind, I need to hunt this on the East wind. I need to access this South West, like all, or was there a specific wind that was a no go for this, uh, this particular area? Yeah, so I didn't have the best access if we would have had a a true north wind. Um, Yeah, north wind was kind of a no-go because I would literally walk down the easement and most of those deer would either probably smell me. Um, I would have to maybe even get my canoe and come in through the creek system. And I hadn't mapped that that, that one out yet, Um, but that's on the to-do list. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, this winter, definitely, I'll be uh, keying in on, on you know, little, like like I said, this is about a 10 to 15 acre old field, and uh, I'll definitely shed hunt it and, and, and do a little even more homework, even though I was successful and, and obviously have a few good stands in there, but yeah, I, I feel like I'll be back in there to, to map some of that out even better. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I had my access planned as far as east wind, I was like, dude, I can almost hunt my way in. Um, I did, did debate hunting from the ground that night, but, um, I knew there was a lot of small trees in that area that I could still get a stand in. Okay. So from a strategy standpoint, you, you kind of had your access planned out. Um, was there any other strategy that you had to think about before it was time to go in? I mean, out of this 15 acres, did you, was there terrain features or area parts of this 15 ish acres that the deer really were, that you felt they were heavy in compared to, let's say, I don't know, even breaking it down more, right? If it's on this seven and there's a seven over here, or if it, Mm -hmm. you know, seven acres of that 15 where they were, they were bedded in or, I don't know. Did you find yeah. out? Did you find out that this? It, it, yeah, it looked like a bedding area, but maybe it was just a staging area, or maybe it was just a travel corridor, and they're bedding somewhere else and just coming through. I don't. Did you find any of that other information out? So when I originally, yeah, when I scouted it, I felt like there was a back corner of this uh, this grassy type field where there was a little bit more uh, woody and, and small trees habitat and. There's more of a concentration of rubs in there. So I thought, okay, if a buck's bedding in there, maybe like maybe this is the desired bedding location because there's more rubs, so there's a little more competition. Um, that was kind of my only kind of second-tier strategy. I knew deer would bed in this general area, and then I, I felt like what I call this back, back corner section could have been a potential buck bed because of the number of rubs. 
um, in, in close proximity. Gotcha. So did you feel at that point that knowing where it started to get concentrated in that 15 uh, acre area, did you feel like you had to give yourself a buffer of X amount of yards between where you thought they were, or did you try to get right up on them? No, I did. Um, I did want to back up off that. Just, uh, I wanted to kind of be around that hundred yard marker. I, I, I didn't want to be like 30 and 40 yards cause then maybe I would like, um, mess something up and, and hanging a stand or bang a camera arm off something like that does happen. Yep. Um, I had I had originally marked a tree um, that I could get three sticks up in, and, and so I thought, oh man, I should be able to see. I can see a couple trails converging together right here. Like if a buck's bedded a oh, hundred yards away, there's two or three trails that'll lead him hopefully in front of this location. Um, and as I was scouting my way in, like the prior year sign, like obviously was still there, but. Um, I noticed new sign this year um, as far as, and similar to what I was saying, like I saw a couple good rubs. We're talking, you know, baseball bat size trees rubbed up, not little spindly ones. And then, then even bigger rubs as far as uh, a little bit thicker than baseball bats. And um, as I was working my way back into this grassy field, like obviously I got my binos up every couple steps and I'm trying to assess. And I get, I get about 40 to 50 yards from the, the, the tree stand logo on my on my mapping system that I'm looking at. And I can see that I've gone from rubs that are, say, 50 yards apart in increments to now I've just I've, I've now got rubs at 20 and 30 yards. And, and I'm looking ahead and I can see two to three rubs all within like a 10-yard area. And um, at that point, I said, I don't want to walk any further. Um towards the, the, the original tree that I had marked back in there because I was like, dude, there's a couple trails coming together here and, and there's a, a, a very high concentration of rubs. And uh, I sat there for probably a minute or two and, and was assessing a couple different trees that I could see myself getting into and uh, ended up picking a, a tree that I could get about 14 foot in, um, two sticks with a step ladder on the bottom and um, allowed me to shoot two major trails at like 15 yards and, and, and did give me some decent cover. Um, was kind of a, a, a bitch to hang in. It was one of those that the tree next to it was poking me in the back and grabbing at me the oh, whole time. Yeah. I'm yeah. Man, that's nuts. And what you said there, I just want everybody to listen what Byron did here, because I feel it's very important. You realized that, the sign, the concentration of sign kept getting better and better and better. And someone who may not know would have continued to push in to that tree. Now, what I want to ask you, if you would have gone to the original plan and went to that tree where you could have got three sticks high, do you feel mm-hmm. that you would have bumped this deer out of there? I, I don't, I, the, the twist in the story is he came from the opposite way I expected. <laughs> oh, then that, Dan, like, that proves my whole point wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, actually let, let's lay it out here though. If I would have kept walking, um, he probably would have caught my ground scent before I could have got an arrow in it. Right. Okay. That, regardless, what I'm, what I'm mm-hmm. getting at is what you did was you realized that you needed to stop. 
one of the mm-hmm. biggest things f- from what I've learned of all I dude, I've made so many mistakes doing this where I've pushed in too far and then maybe second guessed what I needed to do and pulled out and backed up another 30 yards and all these deer caught my scent where if I would have played it calm, chose that, that stand location originally didn't go back and forth and bust my, you know, bust my, get myself busted basically either from ground Mm -hmm. scent or from the tree. I, that's one of the biggest things that I've ever learned is to go in, slow your roll, observe, and don't get too like when you start seeing sign like what you see there's a ton of guys that would have gone in and kept pushing in and then they would have ruined it you know what i mean yeah yeah something like i tried to really improve on over the last like even 3 years is that last 100 yards to to my location is i am trying to assess almost every step i know there's been a couple times on evening hunts it really helps that you can like you can stand there at, at 50 yards from the tree you've marked and kind of really assess what where the, the the there's always a spot but then i feel like there's that killing tree there's that tree in there that allows you, you you to be successful and i i think it's important to slow down that last 100 yards in the in the timber or in this case it was more like 30 to 40 yards just due to the habitat but really kind of slow down and, and pick the right tree yeah yeah, that's so important. That's so important because a lot of guys will, A, get comfortable and look for a tree that's easy to get in or they'll mm-hmm. go they'll go too far in and then they'll they'll screw it up somehow because they're either too close to the deer or the deer come from a different direction and catch catch your ground scent or catch, you know, they circle down to India and just straight up bust you from the tree stand. So mm-hmm. so when you got in there and you you finally realized, hey man, I need to back up. I need to back up, or, or I need to yeah. not go in as far as I originally did. You found this tree. You you realized that there were two trails you could have shot. Now, by sacrificing not going into that tr- that original tree, were you giving up your any type of position in there at all? I felt like I probably, well, I, I knew that tree that I had originally marked would probably allow me to, to visually glass and see into a few more pockets of, of this type of, of this kind of like old field slash like shrubbery stuff. Um, I definitely feel like when I picked that tree, I knew like, dude, you're only going to have probably two lanes, this trail and this trail. Like you, you I, I kind of remember that back corner area of having like, four or five main main trails converting like i definitely think i i knew in my head i was like you are probably going to sacrifice one any visual knowledge you may gain on this hunt because you're going to be lower and two you're not going to be able to like cover an area and shoot 30 yards in almost a 360 way you're you're only going to you know have two major shooting options right let me ask you this question kind of uh, Mm -hmm. as an overall strategy when as a hunter you started hunting specific trails or, you know, like not necessarily, Hey, I'm going to go to this Ridge and I'm going to hunt this Ridge, but you went to a a specific location and you hunted maybe a specific intersection or a specific trail. Do you feel that your success went up from then, from that point on? Yeah, I feel like, you know, yeah, I I do. I feel like when you find the, the killing tree is what I like to call it. That goes from a guy who sees a deer, say 30 yards to gets an arrow in it at 15 yards. Gotcha. Um, 
and I think a lot of that actually, and, and, and that's in my mindset now more than ever, like, uh, kind of our, one of our mutual friends, Cody DeQuisto, he's, he's about that. You know, he, yeah. he is very much dialed in on that aspect of, dude, get in the tree that allows you to get that arrow in the, in that deer. Don't be the guy that tries to cover everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing like I've had to learn because over the years, I don't know about you, but I love seeing deer, right? I love being able to go hunt and see deer. But since I've, I've somewhat changed my ways, I, I don't hunt field edges anymore. I, I don't hunt these areas that you can see a long way unless I'm trying to sit some kind of an observation stand. I'm going in to a really tight, thick spot where I'm not going to like almost, it's almost to the point where binoculars are useless. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you go in there and you're hunting de- a deer or a two deer, not necessarily trying to see a whole bunch of deer. So the other night, I my my mom goes, "Hey man, how many deer did you see tonight?" I said zero, which doesn't surprise me anymore because I'm not trying to see deer; I'm trying to kill deer. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. And, and mentally too, that is a an adjustment and and kind of not. It's kind of a mental grind. You got to be okay. And, and I feel like I'm in that evolving stage myself, like don't hunt to see a deer, hunt to kill a buck. Like it's, yep. it's a, it's a different attitude. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you found the location, you, you, mm-hmm. you made an on the fly adjustment that got you to a, a particular tree. And you, like you said, you may, you may or may not have given up something. Now you get set up and once you get set up, kind of walk us through what was going through your mind as you know after you got set up after you started uh you know finished that run and gun setup yeah so once i got finally like set up camera arms up equipment's ready i i shot a few ranges as far as okay i know i got this trail here 15 yards this trail over here is 20 i might be able to shoot a poke out to 26 yards here um and and that was that was kind of like my initial check system. And then, um, really I kind of, I got, I got settled down. It was plenty early. Um, I played with some of the camera settings, make sure that's ready to go. Uh, I, I know, you know, that, and that's part of the, the pre pre, uh, pre hunt process. Um, other than that, I, I, I kind of was looking at my map on my phone a little bit to kind of see how I thought, you know, how this tree was going to play out a little different than, than my, my, my original mark. Um, but that was really about it. I was throwing some milkweed, making sure that wind was what I needed it to do. And like I said, it was an East wind. So kind of an odd wind. Um, and it was, it was, it was almost right on that line of where I thought that deer would come. But, but like I've kind of already hinted, he, he, he came from the total opposite direction. Did that take you by surprise? Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, I would say I spent 60 to 70% of my time looking to my left. Um, and I stand a lot when I hunt. I don't like to, to be seated just cause like, I feel I can get to my bow and camera pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and, uh, when I looked to, to my right and all I could see was deer legs, like kind of under the brush, like this wasn't a place I was going to see a lot of deer. Like I could see 40 yards in that direction and all I could see was legs. And I, I tried to pull up my binos to get a better look and I didn't find the deer. And he took a step as I was lowering my binos and all I see is white rack. And it was one of those, Dan, where like, I didn't even have to bring the binos back up to check him. I go, I'm shooting him. Yeah. Like 
you know, it was like a lot of times with the deer I shoot and, and where I hunt here in Ohio, like I, I generally try to look and make sure like the, the deer's of size. Cause I have had one buck where I shot him and, and I was like, man, I wish I would have glassed this deer before I decided to pull the trigger. But this deer, it was a no brainer shooting him. Yeah. Yeah. So he took you by surprise. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you had, you know, you did a lot of standing up, but because you film your hunts, right? And I've, I've been there mm-hmm. before. You always kind of have this analytical breakdown of where your camera arm and camera goes based off of where you feel the deer are going to be coming from. This deer came from the opposite side of, from where you thought he was going to come from. Did you have to change your camera equipment too? Um, I had to shift it. Oh, a couple degrees to point it that way. Um, it wasn't a, a, like I've had some camera debacles or had some, some decisions when like I see a deer and I'm like, dude, I can't get to the camera. I've had those. Um, and, and actually listening to your podcast, I heard you, you speak about that before where, where you're like, don't give up the 10 yard shot to get him on frame and shoot him at 25 <laughs> quarter away. Like that, that is burned into my brain. Yeah. That um, that's why I so don't it, film my hunts anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I, and I've shot a deer off frame and, and, and that lesson that you preached on that podcast was part of that. I remember I knew the deer walked out of frame a couple of years ago and I was like, I don't care. He's 22 yards broadside. I have to shoot now yeah. um, because no one pays me to hunt. So, <laughs> you know, I'd rather be known as a guy who, who kills a few deer, uh, you know, off public land and has a decent wall in a couple of years um, than the guy who says, oh, the film, the film, you know, that guy. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So he steps out, you make some quick adjustments in the stand and walk us through what happened the rest of the way. Okay. So he's like 40 ish yards from, from my stand. Um, and he is working kind of towards me at this point. And at this, there is a squirrel on the ground right behind me, perfectly in line with my tree stand. And it is like jumping around, making all sorts of noise. So he's kind of looking in my direction just to confirm this noise. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This world is sabotaging <laughs> me right now. Like, like he literally kind of got on alert a little bit, trying to, to verify that this, what this noise was, he was hearing. Um, he takes about, oh, six, seven steps. And then looks like he's going to go left and pop out at about 25 yards. And I move the camera to the right. And then, um, he continues back to, to work straight on to me. So I had to move the camera back to the left. And, uh, at this point he works his way, you know, from 40 to, to about 15 yards. And I don't have a lot of lanes that way. I've got a lot of little, t- you know, sticks and trees and stuff in the way. But I, I saw in two steps, he is, is going to be entering a window quartering two. And, uh, I went ahead and drew my bow, um, because he is like, three yards from hitting where I walked in at, at this point. And I'm like, I know he's going to hit that ground scent and the game's over. Um, and also you hear a lot of guys that kill a lot of big bucks. Um, they say, shoot that first shot you can. Right. And, and that is going through my head as well. And, uh, I come to full draw and he sticks his nose up in the air. And I don't know if he was going to work a licking branch or he was actually seeing wh- like what he smelled on, as far as my ground scent possibly. And, uh, I find a window and it's like the size of a basketball hoop. And I'm like, I shoot a 500 grain arrow. I got a hundred grain insert up front plus a fixed blade broadhead. I'm going to take this quartering two shot. He wasn't 
super hard, but I'm like, I can blow through stuff. Like I purposely set my arrow for this kind of situation, 14 foot off the ground, shoot the first shot you can on big bucks. Like, right. Right. So, um, I remember settling the pin a little bit and I remember squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And when that bow went off, I heard that, that, that noise when it does hit connect and man, he turned and he ran, Oh, 30, 40 yards. He jumps right and jumps left. And I, I lose him. And this is like six o'clock. This is like an hour before dark. Right. Um, I would guess that deer, I probably walked within 75, a hundred yards of where that buck was bedded. Yeah. You, you know, he was definitely down in there somewhere. Um, and he was definitely coming to those rubs that I had, I had stopped at on my way in and decided I needed to shoot this two trails, you know, where there's a, a collection of rubs. He was, he was literally standing in that. Okay. So when you hit him now, some people say quartering towards, you know, it's like that 45 degree angle. It's not necessarily broadside and it's not necessarily straight on. Was he more mm-hmm. broadside or was he more quartering towards like facing head on? And where did you feel that you hit him when you released the arrow? Um, so I would say he wasn't straight quartering on, but he was slightly quartered too, for sure. Yeah. Um, more broadside than, than a, like a, a truly like, you know, quarter two, but um, still quartering two angle. I, I felt like I came, if you take that deer's leg and go straight up kind of that front side of his leg. And I felt like I put that arrow right into that, that zone um, three or four inches uh, above where it connects to the body. Like I felt like it was, that was where my pin was. I felt like the shot was decently executed. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt okay about it, but like, since I didn't see him crash and my, uh, my group of guys I film with, we've had some debacles like in the past where we're like, we didn't find the deer. And so like, I didn't allow myself to really be like all pumped up. Like you will hear on, on the film, whenever I release the footage, like I I killed him, I killed him. Like I was kind of confident, but then like, you know, I took a step back and I was like, oh man, I think that shot's good. Like you just see, you can kind of hear the, the, the change of, of tone of like, oh, I, I hope that was good. I kind of remember it being good. Like I remember good execution on the shot, um, but I didn't have cell signal. And, and like, you always start to second guess. So uh, at that point I got down out of the tree. Um, I went over to the, 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 the location where he was when I shot him and immediately had decent amount of blood, bright red bub, uh, bright red blood and some bubbles in one of the bigger drops. So I threw my tow rope, which is orange kind of in that tree over that location. I actually walked out the opposite way and got up on a ridge where I could get a little cell signal. Um, called my hunting partner, explained what happened. He goes, I got pizzas in my hand for my, my wife and kid. He goes, let me drop them off. And I got boots in my car. I'll be there in an hour and hour ish. <laughs> yeah. So, so my hats are off to him. Like, you mm-hmm. know, he, he basically stopped his life to, to come. He goes, yeah, we got to do this once a year. Um, yeah. he goes, this is what happened. And it, he asked me, how big is he? I said, well, he's not spindly. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause he's like, well, yeah, he wanted to make sure it was a, it was a good one. <laughs> so, so what was it? What was he going to do? Not if it was a small buck, was he not going to help you drag it out? 
No, he no, he was gonna come, but he 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 wanted he wanted me to throw inches on it at that point in the phone oh. I'm like, Dave, I don't know. And then I had a skunk come out at twenty five yards, and I'm like, hold on, I got to run away. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so yeah, so did you back out and wait for your buddy then? Yeah, so I backed out. Um, I called him, um, and I called one other guy, and I called my fiance. I said it's gonna be a late night. Uh, just pray I find him. Yeah, and. Um, that was good. You know, kind of got those phone calls and I actually had another buddy who I got off the phone with. I didn't know he was going to come, but he, I guess he went and told his boss, I got to leave. Um, and he started driving too, but I took, uh, I took my tree stand down cause I take some time, you know, so I got my tree stand down. I went back to my truck. I kind of organized, um, kind of my, I have a gutting bag in the, in the truck. that has got a knife in it, a, a better flashlight. Um, it's got another like camera type light that I can add to the, top of my camera um and i just waited it out because you know i after a conversation with a good hunting buddy he's like yeah you, you can't go wrong with waiting at this point yeah you got daylight on your side but i'm coming so we'll have plenty of lights um let's just let that deer lay because you didn't see him fall right right um so show up now we're fast forwarding a little bit you guys go back mm-hmm. to first blood and you start the track job how long did it take yeah, so that at that point in time, it's 8.30. I shot this deer at 6 o'clock. My buddy drove over an hour. We are blood trailing this guy. Um, good blood. Uh, we're moving at a pretty pretty decent clip. Um, and, and the fact that I saw him go right and left, we kind of knew that zigzag was going to come up. And Blood looks good. Uh, my buddy's pumping me with confidence. We're going to find this deer, man. And I'm still sitting there kind of knots in your stomach, man, you know. It, right my biggest buck to date and I didn't see him fall. And, you know, I don't want to celebrate yet. And, um, we blood trail him for 55 ish yards. Right. And basically trip over him because we, we were in that grassy stuff. Right. Um, but that reaction's all on film. Like, Oh, we got him. And it's just, I'm, I'm cloud nine tiger woods, fist pump, <laughs> you know, yelling about how much gas I put in from all the scouting I do. And just like, this is why we do it. This is what I do. Um, Isn't it awesome though? Being able to do oh, that. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking yeah. about walk into a piece of property that you've never been like never done anything with before. Figure it out in a, in a re- relatively short amount of time and then kill a deer out of it. Yeah. Yeah. In a and, good and deer. I look up. Yeah. Oh, at my biggest deer, but I look up to, you know, the, the, the big buck killers, like the impulse, the Dequistos, um, even like, uh, that Jason guy out of Michigan that's, that's killed a lot of a book bus. Um, you know, like I felt like I, I, I've applied a lot of what those guys have preached and, and I know I wouldn't have killed that deer. Like, three or four years ago, maybe even two years ago, I wouldn't have killed that deer. Um, you know, Cody really has put some confidence in me. I've, I've always gun hunted sometimes like one and two sticks high, but he's like a guy that I look up to and he goes, yeah, dude, that calls for it. Hunt, hunt three feet off the ground. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, so to kind of have that all come together, a new piece of public and, and, and kill on the first year on it and kill a good buck and, you know, and, and devoting so much time and energy into doing it the way we do. And also dude, the, the night before I had a debacle, I spent two hours with my standing sticks on my back trying to find buck sign, good buck sign in an area. And I never did. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it just made it so sweet. 
Um, and to kill an October buck. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's a, that's like a goal of mine. Of course, I don't mm-hmm. hunt that much in October uh, because I, I dedicate a majority of my time to the higher statistical part, you know, time of the year, which is the sure. uh, first two weeks of November. But, um, you know, it's 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 a good feeling when you can do what you did. And, uh, man, I just want to say congratulations and, and thanks for coming on and uh, sharing that strategy with us today. Yeah, Dan, like I can't, I can't one, thank you enough for having me on and giving me this opportunity, but I definitely think there's lessons on, on a, a few of the podcasts you've done and a few of the podcasts you've done with, with Mark Kenyon. And I've been uh, really fortunate to, to take what you guys have given the listeners and, and apply it and be successful with it. Absolutely. Well, appreciate that, man. And for all the listeners, uh, I take it you have this, did you get the shot on film? Dude, I did solo film. He center framed. Um, so jack so when's when's the uh film gonna come out or when's the video gonna come out that we can all uh watch it yeah i'm thinking um as far as as views i'm i'm thinking probably the august time frame next year oh, okay. um, i may throw together like a one minute teaser but um like right now i'm gonna go to indiana next week and try and get on some public land there and, and so like you know, for me to sit down and, and pour 20 hours of editing time into a oh, video no right way. now. Go hunt. Go yeah. hunt. Yeah. We'll wait. Yeah. We'll wait. All right, man. <laughs> so, uh, again, the Whitetail Experience. Check out that uh, all his social media there and, and videos and what. And, again, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you hopping on. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We're done this podcast huge shout out to byron for hopping on and uh, chatting with us today huge shout out to each and every one of you you guys are what make the sportsman's nation run and i got some big announcements coming later this week this month uh dude we're, we're growing and uh we're going to be joining forces with some other people to bring in some more categories of the outdoors onto this network. There's going to be more written content. There's going to be more videos. There's going to be more podcasts, what we're good at over here. And, uh, dude, we're growing. And uh, it looks like there's a lot of people out there who are trying to do what we've been doing. There's some big names that are are starting to uh, join forces together. I mean, uh, man, we've been doing this for a while. So I'm going to I'm going to sit here and say I was the one who started it, even though I probably wasn't. But it's cool, right? Uh, The more people that talk about hunting in the outdoors, the better. And uh, I'm looking to do the same with the Sportsman's Nation. If you haven't already, go to Instagram and Facebook, follow the Sportsman's Nation, follow the Nine Finger Chronicles, follow all the other podcasts and content providers on the network. And uh, lastly, man, enjoy yourself because that's what this, you know, what all this content is supposed to be about. We're consuming this content when we can't be out enjoying it. Uh, enjoying mother nature so that's what uh that's what we're trying to do here i think that's it huge shout out to all the partners of the nine finger chronicles podcast exodus wasp lone wolf deer lab prime ripcord ozonics and hunter safety systems guys uh, please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast what i'm doing what i'm building what we are doing and what we are building um because it's just not me but um go out and give those guys a look and you guys it's that time of year we're focused on other things we sometimes we have blind blinders on i want us to all remember if we're gonna be in a tree please 
Our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you.